0: From the offices of Cocktail Collective Australia, this is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favourite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they should be used. Are you ready to understand exactly what's in your glass? Or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. And we're here with Brendan Carter from Applewood Distillery. Thank you for joining us, Brendan. No,
1: thank you so much for, um, for coming up.
0: Tell us a little bit about Applewood and then we'll talk about ochre. Sure.
1: Uh, so Applewood uh, was a bit of a, an idea conceptualised by myself and my wife Laura about uh, five years ago, six years ago, um, where the concept was to, to really um, start to monetize native Australian ingredients and showcase them in, in really more approachable uh ways uh, across on a global scale across the the whole planet to really talk about Australian culture and sites and soils and lifestyle and um, put native ingredients on a pedestal for, for a lot of people
0: So why would you then choose to do an Amaro which is so commonly associated with well French or Italian mm. drinking
1: Well it's actually interesting mm, yeah. you say that because so in um, with Applewood and I suppose every single I would say thousand litres of gin that we actually produce we use around about 50 kilo- kilograms of, of native ingredients um, but for every thousand litres of, of amaro. That we produce, we use around about four hundred. So our our way of measuring our own personal success in this business isn't necessarily monetary. It's actually about you know swallowing up um, you know large amounts of native ingredients and monetizing them for farmers so that they'll take a second look at it. So the amaro so oca um, actually more um, aligns stronger with with that particular um, performance indicator. I guess um, in terms of it being sort of a, a, a sort of a French Italian sort of style. That's something that uh, very recently we're starting to actually morph and change the direction of ochre into entertaining this concept of Australiana uh, and realising that, uh, and and I think the positioning of ochre is not necessarily about uh, trying to mimic or replicate Italian culture, um, revering it very much so. They, They... pretty much created the entire category but accepting um, uh, ours we actually see ochres applications less so in more Italian based cocktails and more actually in Tiki based cocktails being I know that sounds very odd <laughs> but I mean no, yeah. tell you, well, there's uh, we we've been most uh, inspired by a particular cocktail that is quite contentious in bartender circles called the jungle bird uh, which was very contentious because it, it mixed rum with Campari um, and how dare they and I'm like well that's great because we're a massive island nation Bit in this is regarded as being refreshing here, and we smash rum like there's no tomorrow. So yes, I think that's a, a more applicable use for Oka as an Australian amaro. I think we can, we are now looking to to blur those lines between sort of Italian and island based culture, which I think we could aptly do. Mm. Yeah. You weren't expecting that, way, <laughs> So, yeah, no, it's, it's it's been a really fun thing. I mean, like I said, Ochre is about trying to reconnect people back with land at an esoteric standpoint, yeah. but also just kind of uh, introduce something completely new that bartenders haven't been really exposed to before. I, I, I do believe, and, and yeah. I, I adore Campari for, um, you know, how accurately it reflects the vibrancy and almost, you know, delicate sweetness of, of uh, fresh Italian produce. So I think anyone that travels to Italy just knows is that inherently. Uh, I spent a lot of time growing up there, funnily enough. But um, I think Oka can tell it just as legitimate story, but from a different place um, you know, from, from our place, the place how, we go to. How
0: close should our product be to the land and also to? the nature of what
1: is Australian. Um, I think intrinsically it has to be um, very, very close, incredibly close. Um, like I said, there's a, there's a fine line between replication and reverence, um, and the thing is, you know, quite often it is in the Australian psyche, psyche to replicate or do riffs on things. Um, I would very much like to entertain the concept of just creating something entirely, entirely brand new, completely genuine, um, to uh, and that would speak about our culture, our land, and help uh, even Australians, A, identify with, with their own culture but also be able to share that in a really fun and approachable and non-patriotic way to other cultures mm. I think we and, and it's always been a, a bit of a thing in Australia that um, we, we lack definition in our own culture <laughs> You, know, we could, you and I could both write two paragraphs about Australian culture and say completely different things. I think, um, but uh, we're actually one of the few cultures that still has this issue. Um, it's not because we're young and not because we're multicultural because New Zealand has Kia Ora on every single piece of, of, of marketing materials that they issue to other cultures. They even say it to themselves. Um, and they're you know, a younger country than we are. Um, you look at Singapore, which is immensely younger, and you try and say to any Singaporean that you know, Malaysian Luxor is superior. Um, and they fly off the handle. Um, so uh, a broad acceptance of, of what it means to be Australian, I think, should be reflected in the two great tools that we have to be able to develop culture, which is essentially food and booze. So are the two great cultural lubricants. Mm. You know, so what is Australian food? You know, what is Australian booze then? Yeah. That's, that's, they're the esoteric things that we get to have a play with and challenge and, and push people and break status quos with when it comes to crafting something like, you know, Australian gin. What is that? Let's have some fun. You know, Australian Amaro, Well, that's pretty whack. You know, we're playing around with, with, you know, outback Amaros looking at honey ants and stuff like this. These are flavours that um, the rest of the world doesn't get to appreciate and we get to showcase in, in really fun and creative ways.
0: Talking about the native botanicals that you've used in the ochre, um, what are we looking at? It's
1: actually so between apple and ochre, there is a real dichotomy because um, you you would it's sort of the opposite of what. We assumed when we first started, uh, you would think, um, say, for example, for a gin, you'd be looking at coastal and fresh and vibrant citrus botanicals. We actually found um, a lot more success with looking at botanicals, this for apple gin, um, from the desert areas which is odd okay. well, yeah so we're looking at wattle seed peppermint gum leaf and predominantly desert limes so the the most of Australia I think is starting to understand the concept of finger limes uh, particularly they're, they're native into the, the sort of hinterland around Byron Bay yeah. uh, but desert limes come from Flinders Ranges so about four, five, six hours' drive north of Adelaide. And then also happen to, to rear their head in, in um, uh, northern WA as well. It's just a two odd spots. Mm. Citrus Glauca, amazing. One of the rarest citruses on earth.
0: Are they like finger limes?
1: You can eat them. They're fantastic. No, they're, they're completely different to finger limes. They're a very savoury citrus. Um, and, and they don't have those uh, really um, powerful vesicles of, of juice that you can manhandle. They, they're almost like a berry. Okay. Um, very, very small. Uh, but absolutely delicious, like that you can literally just plow through them. Again, they are bitter things, so you'd love bitterness. I'm yet to find overtly sweet native ingredients from Australia, to be to be honest. And that was one of those like when life gives you lemons moments when it came to ochre. Yeah. So you know when Australia gives you the greatest wealth of bitter botanicals in the world, then make bitters. And we actually originally made ochre as a bit of a joke as a bit of, a, oh, let's give this a trip, you know, give, yeah. give it a shot. And um, we didn't realise parochial bartenders were waiting for a product for this all-Australian Negroni, which we didn't necessarily push initially. Um, we were just trying to make it maro. Like, that was the, the, the broader really? sort of goal. Um, but, uh, no, o- Oka, we actually found, um, as a, a bit of a maro, we found solace in... Um, native ingredients from the coastal areas of of Australia. The coastal mm-hmm. rainforest areas. Yeah. So we were looking predominantly at rye berries, Davidson plums, finger limes, strawberry gum leaf from the um, uh, tablelands in New South Wales. Yeah. So these sort of more brighter, high toned, aromatic things, or high acid things, um, that uh, that did you know remarkably well. So yeah, it was a real sort of once we had fine tuned those two recipes, we sort of took an A twenty look at both our sort of key products between Applewood and ochre and um, yeah, Applewood, all the native ingredients were from. Areas of less than 300 mil of rainfall, and all the um, uh, stuff for Oka was from areas of north of a meter of rainfall. Strange, isn't it? it's very strange? It was just an oddity we didn't plan on that. if you look at bitter Amaro it's not actually from anything coastal like Campari is famous for like um, you know all alpine, um, alpine uh, potential gentian root predominantly licorice root angelica root um, they all come from sort of mountainous areas inside Italy but as you move down Italy and this is the really key thing about Amaro for us was that you know with, with gin we don't have juniper in Australia we have a native juniper, Myoporum It's really nothing like uh, Juniperus officialis. It's really completely distinct from it. Um, but the ability to be able to swallow, you know, and use those uh, native ingredients in, in, in a format as approachable as gin is incredibly thrilling. When it comes to um, you know amaro. You think about how Amara has evolved historically or traditionally, and it's around those areas that are uh, have a rich vibrancy of different botanicals, but they don't want to be utilising. So you know they, they also might make wine in that area or might make other things in that area, but um, they want to try and craft a beverage, a drink that is reflective of the botanical nature of that specific area. That's why Campari is very much around sort of like Parma, like well north of Italy. And as you move down Italy, and, and I'm choosing Italy really as, a, as a key sort of uh, Example of this because they probably do it better than anybody else, in my opinion. Um, but you go right down and have a look at, like, in Sicily, for example, a verna. Um, I would not necessarily call a verna a very bitter thing, even though amaro literally means bitter in Italian. Um, it's quite sweet. and it's got coffee and it's got you know heavy amounts of citrus in it, then you kind of look at where it's made in Sicily where there's lots of coffee and heavy amounts of citrus and sweetness makes sense. And they don't really have a wealth of bitter things there. They've got a few, but they put them in there as well. And Averna is an expression, therefore, of Sicilian culture. You know, you see this all the way. You see it in Puglia, in Campania, in La Marca, in Toscana. As as you continue up the country, um, the the spread of botanicals that they use in their locality completely changes. You know, China, for example, artichokes. Or you go. Um, there's a really great one uh, from Campania, which name escapes me at the moment. It'll, it'll come to me. Um, that's based on rocket, a freaking rocket amara. and it's delicious. It's awesome. And I spent a lot of time in Campania growing up, and I taste it. Like I taste Campania. I get it. I totally get it. You know, when, you know, quite often when we show ochre to um, uh, people around the world that have traveled to Australia before and they've done the whole outback thing, they go, wow, I taste Australia. And for me, I'm like, great, we've nailed it. We've absolutely nailed that. Yeah. We just want people to be able to connect with our land. There's really interesting showcasing ochre to places like India. Where they have such a connection to high-toned aromatic spices, you know, but I'm, I'm yet to see another culture extract such flavour out of vegetables like you know uh, folks in, in, in uh, you know Indian or Indian uh, predominant nations can. Um, and when they taste okra, it's like this eye-opening thing. And we didn't expect this because there's such a fascination with with flavour, uh, especially botanically derived flavour. Yeah. they're tasting things that have no past standard for. And it's just a complete, utter fascination. Not like, oh, that's not for me. It's just like, wow, wow, how do you achieve that? Yeah. You know, and I think that's a really great way, a positive way to be able to share a culture, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. like, a, well, I can show you how we achieve that. I'd like to share that with you. Yeah. You know, I think that's the, the powerful tool that we can do with something that's botanically based.
0: You said earlier that um, the bartenders were waiting for an Australian base tomorrow. Um, talk a little bit more about that.
1: Well, I think, um, obviously, the distillation and craft is installation uh, industry in Australia has really flourished in the last couple of years. And you keep in mind that when we released Ochre and, and Red Ochre as at the time was two products, um, one that was more like an aperitif and one that was more designed as a, a bit of a Maro style. Um, we you know, we were probably, well, I believe we were the first to do that. And a lot of bartenders, we're seeing like a lot of firsts during that time, oh, wow, first awesome whiskey I've tried from Starwood. You know, wow, a uh, whole bunch of new Aussie gins. There wasn't just Four Pillars and Archie Rose. There was Ars and MGC and West Winds at the time. Uh, and then now it's just gone full crazy and there's hundreds available. Um, so bartenders were, were searching and waiting for, oh, well, what's going to be next? Mm. Um, you know, we've we, we've seen this probably more aptly in one of my favourite um, producers in Marionette where they've gone, well, everyone's doing gin, everyone's doing here we're going to cater for people that actually use curacao I want to see what really great in curacao or, or cassis um, or apricot brandy actually tastes like, you know, and, and, and bartenders have gone, oh, wow, that's something new again. I think we, we do love the new, but we also love the local um, thing. Um, but yeah, that's, I, I we, we didn't know the bartenders were waiting. We, we were pure. Our, our mentality when it comes to crafting spirits is, and probably to our detriment at a lot of the times, not related to how to build a strong brand. It is purely how to uh, utilise native ingredients in the best way possible. That is that is our 110% motivation. Um, suddenly we find these things out generally after the fact. That's luck, I think.
0: <laughs> Perhaps. So if somebody's tasting the ochre for the first time and if they're familiar with a range of amaros how will they find it different what what will they taste?
1: Uh, look herbaceousness is going to be one of the key things so we're really trying to capture um the um you know esoteric term but more ethereal nature of, of uh, the australian landscape and now back um that said everything does hail from the coastal rainforest so it you, you're generally going to be picking up on things like clove you'll be picking up on um the strawberry gum leaf which is uh quite a, it's actually i would probably not describe it more so as strawberry but more as like a passion fruit flavor to be honest or almost like a guava flavor um but there is a definite herbaceousness there that that isn't really present in a lot of other amaros quite often uh when people will smell ochre they'll have this sort of reminiscence of fernet due to the sort of menthol eucalyptol Effect yeah. that um, that Fernet has, and they achieve out of using immense amounts of saffron. Um, but we're achieving it through using very little, tiny, tiny amounts of eucalyptus. Mm. Um, and, and I do think that's that's one of the things that people do quite often remark about. It's sort of like if you've ever been camping as a kid, um, walking through essentially a, a sort of um, undergrowth on a on a foggy or a, a humid day, uh, you you end up getting these very nostalgic aromas. Um, um, for those obviously that are used to tasting um, bitter Amaro, you'll probably find ochre has a, a little bit more long, lingering bitterness, um, but not a not lesser sweetness. We have gone through derivations of ochre. You know, we've gone from something that was very much um, uh, experimental to something that was intentional, which was to increase bitterness and, and make it more present. Um, but it was less so. Bitter amaro became a fernet. Style very quickly, and since then, in the last eight nine months, uh, since the latest batch has been been released, it's very much more along those lines of um, usability in cocktails. I think was that a big thing. We want, you I mean, how often do people walk into a bar and just go, "Yeah, give me two shots of that on ice." Very little, and and our again our. our way of measuring success is tied to using those botanicals but also communicating about Australian culture now if we can do that in a cocktail sense then we're going to be elevating what we're doing even even further and richer and yeah stronger
0: we'll talk in a minute about cocktails that you can make with it but when you were constructing it how did you imagine it was going to be used
1: uh, when we constructed, we, we we didn't actually think it was going to be used. Like I said, we sort of launched it as a bit of a joke. Um, but we've had to learn how people have responded to it. We started off um, looking more towards more, you know, what, what um, Amari does every cocktail bar have in the world um, that doesn't have a competitor, seemingly, and that was Campari. And that was a bit of a mistake um, because... Uh, Like I said, I have an adoration for Italian culture and Campari speaks really strongly about that. There's no way in hell that we're ever going to be able to speak to that culture or speak about that culture as strongly as Kampari can um and the one culture we can speak about is Australian culture um that's something that no one else can speak about and someone's going to start and so we decided to to make that start and really tried to find started to fine tune about 12 months ago exactly what we were doing with Oco, and that that really influenced the latest blend um and it's really influencing a lot of what we're talking to uh, with bartenders um we didn't imagine that um they would, for example, during Negroni week, do like an Aussie versus traditional, Aussie versus classic, which was pretty endearing. I was, you know, very humbled by that. Um, but I mean, we, we affectionately call it either the Negroni or the Not Grony um, when it's used, used with ochre because I, I do believe, um, a lot of respect needs to be paid to brands like Campari that have managed to craft, uh, an immensely, I would say, minimalist cocktail in, a, in an incredible way. In an absolutely incredible way, and be able to communicate that on a global scale. Would never be able to take that away from them. Yeah. Um, but I do believe that we have the ability to offer something new to bartenders, and I think bartenders are, are, are very appreciative of, of when we're trying to find something completely, completely new to give them. I think also their customers as well really appreciate that as well. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a key thing. Not for focusing. We don't. We tend not to. Oddly enough, we tend not to focus so much on bartenders as we do focus on their customers. Yeah, I think that's um, been a. Um, a hallmark to our relative success
0: so when somebody takes a bottle of it home what flavors can they look to try and mix with it
1: uh, look, I, I, I would generally go towards citruses um, because Australia's uh, uh, native botanicals seem to handle citrus really well. And Australia as well has probably the greatest wealth of, of rare citruses that we don't know about and don't identify with. And um, that's, you know, say something like as basic as apple wood gin, when people go, what do I garnish it with? I'm like, just lime, you know. Just bring it back to something normal. If you want to, and if you want to do it really well, if you, if the best garnish for things like okra and apple, the absolute best is just a lemon myrtle leaf. That is all it needs. Uh, if you're looking to mix it with anything, I'll be looking towards um, uh, lighter, sort of more mild tonics. Uh, bitter lemon, awesome, uh, really, really good. So, soda is a basic thing, but again, that's that's a bit of a riff, um, but. Uh, the greatest success that I've seen with ochre has been with um, rum. Really, has been with rum, or oh, even tequila. That was a bit of a, that was a bit of an interesting one. Yeah, as like a, a, a obviously again another riff um, yeah. was like a you know obviously mezcal Negroni, but mezcal yeah. with ochre as well uh, worked really really well. That was cool. Um, but we are seeing the lines being blurred with ochre um, between what would be considered yeah, Italian beverages and tiki Beverages, and that's actually where, even when we go out as a team and we see other more creative, way more creative bartenders than we are um, playing around with ochre, that's where we have these massive light bulb moments. Is when basically tiki starts to take over. I know that sounds really odd, but if you actually consider for a second, being you know we are uh, the largest island nation, we identify with being an island nation. Mm. Um, you know that, and and straight away we're seeing something being elevated beyond what we ever thought you could do like a singular beverage uh, when it's being mixed and, and reorganised and chopped and changed. Um,
0: so when you talk about tiki, are you looking at typical augury, pineapple juice, those sort of? Spot on.
1: Yeah exactly right in fact um so um the the key cocktail that that is sort of known where they started to 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 mix was that jungle bird Mm. um that contentious lovely thing with between campari and rum yeah so um here in australia uh riffs and that have gradually evolved and evolved to be not really reminiscent with with the original jungle bird even how it served has changed everything's changed and so you know, it's it's also changed its name to the Galah, um, and it's actually a, a starting to adorn on on a, a variety of of different bartenders' cocktail lists, or even again derivations of that. Right. Um, you know, I always have a, a, and I think the way that bartini is going is really following fine dining where um you know you used to go out and you used to get a dish and the dish was like a uh you know this is our uh crudo this is our pasta this is our pizza this is our you know we have these names for things so like going out and getting this is our martini this is our old-fashioned this is etc 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 now we're starting to see the rise of say fine dining where they're not even giving you the name of the dish they're just telling you the ingredients that are in it right they're going oh this is like it's it's Kale chips, uh, croquettes, and da, 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 da on a plate. And they plate it up in a different way, and go, that go, that, that's the, the meal, the dish. And we are starting to see this in places like Maybe May, and we're seeing this in Bulletin Place, for example, and a lot of the, the, the I would say, the more creative, um, you know, cocktail is influenced
0: cocktail bars. Either,
1: Yeah, culinary, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, technique influenced, certainly, yeah. for sure. Culinary, that's a really good way to put it, where they, they just go, here's a name, and the name has nothing to do with anything apart from like their esoteric vision of the cocktail. and here's the ingredients and that's it they don't tell you how it's prepared they don't tell you anything like this yeah um and you put your trust in the the, the bartender to deliver you a, a drink and it's interesting that moment of confusion causes just like in fine dining you look at this and you're like you know what i don't know what of this is because it doesn't say spaghetti it doesn't say these these words of a dish it just says what's in it so the first thing you do is you ask the waiter waitress etc talk me through the menu
0: mm.
1: you know it's the same thing that you f- suddenly open this thing. You know, it's not like, oh, yeah, yeah, barkeep, give me a gimlet. Yeah, sweet, cool. Um, you know, you're actually going, look, do you mind just talking us through these things? And you'll get that sort of back and forth with that bartender. So you're having this amazing element of service being applied to more modern cocktail bar lists, which I think is really quite important because I think bartenders for a long time, have been um, silent out of um, necessity, mm. you know, but now that we're giving them a voice and, and a full creative freedom to yeah. be able to, to introduce new, you know, into the world, I'm, I'm a big... Um, Proponent of of bringing new stuff yeah. to the world. Uh, if we can bring in the new classics, like what, what's the next big cocktail? What's the next? What's, yeah. the, what's the Australian cocktail? Because we know the Italian ones, we know the French ones. Mm. What's we know the American ones? What's the Australian cocktail? What 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 story can we tell the rest of the
0: world? Well, speaking of that, and you mentioned the Galah. Well, yeah. What's um, what are the ingredients in that?
1: Uh, Orgeat syrup, um, pineapple juice, lime juice, uh, ochre, of course, and dark rum. Um, pretty much all shaken together um, and served in a, a cocktail glass or a coupe glass
0: And every one of those can be actually sourced through an Australian producer I think they can now. They yeah. can, absolutely,
1: and, and we'd encourage that as well, um, A, because of parochialism and B, because of just sheer quality um, you're always going to Get higher quality uh, mm. from from, from Australian based products because they're local, travelled less, and they're fresher typically. Um, but the other one that we've been playing, Rob, is a twist on the Italian dandy um, called the Australian poppy, which has been uh, utilising a um, oh this will be this will be a, a first. You're the first person to hear about this outside of our internal circles. We we're working on a ad uh, like a vintage release for Oka. Uh called Oak Gold, which is a bit of a riff because it's it's sort of how we're playing around with a bit of a few different botanicals that we just couldn't get to work, but Strega or um yellow chartreuse. Yeah. We're we're playing around with an, another another fun thing and, and just as a very small release. Um, um but uh yeah. And the, when
0: are you looking to when is that looking to come out?
1: Uh, I believe in about a month. And it would just be a small run of about a thousand bottles, 500ml bottles as well. But um, yeah, the branding's looking really, really good and fun at the moment.
0: So hit your website.
1: Yeah,
0: in about a month to to see. Of course, website uh, and
1: and uh, you know obviously um, uh, parochial um, independent bars and bottle shops uh, will will tend to stock it as well. But, but uh, yeah, we're having a, a little bit of more fun these days. I'd love to be able to do like a like an aromatic bitters, like an Australian aromatic bitters. How cool would that be? I mean, imagine going into a, like my my ultimate sort of measure of success is being able to walk into a pub and be like, oh yeah, I'll just have a lemon bitters, thanks. And they're using an ochre bitters. Like how would that be? You know, we've managed to become like so mainstream that just uh, you know Joe Public, Mister Blue Collar, can walk into their country rural pub and just get lemon lime bitters, and it's and it's an Aussie bitters. I just think that's really cool, you know.
0: Yeah. Now, if someone is going to buy a bottle of Oka and take it home, mm-hmm. how how do you want them to use it? How do you want them to experience it? Uh, it's a tough one because
1: uh, everyone needs a cocktail kit at home. You got You got to got to, uh, to be able to take, like really experience it to its fullest. Um, the easiest way, of course, is to to go on the established, more minimalist cocktails like Italian riffs. Um, of course, like everyone's already mixing the granies at home, so give it a go with that. Um, try your varying amounts to be able to sort vary sweetness. But, um, my, my simplest, simplest, simplest go-to was just ochre and soda. Mm -hmm. Straight up ochre and soda.
0: And what sort of food pairings?
1: Ooh, that's a really good one. Um, you like this dessert? Yeah, I know. Yeah, screw the aperitivo. Let's go digestivo with this. Seriously. Um, like I, 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 have a big love affinity with, um, ochre and like sorbets, um, cheeses. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> big big fan uh in terms of uh yeah i don't know because it that's, that's actually a really interesting thing. um like desserts fruit mm. absolutely again it, we always the we tried pairing this up with a peritivo owl. We tried pairing this up with with salumis and um, and olives and stuff like that, and just have like a quick little tapas-style bites, um, or even like spicy things. Like and do your like, nah, it didn't work. Yeah. It didn't work. When we started like smashing like pineapple fruit bowls, when we started looking at um, uh, a lot of like fruit tarts and stuff like that, and that's what pastries, it was, yeah. Yeah, it worked really well. And we're just like, the flavours are aligning. Things are working in cohesion. People are having a good time. People are smiling, <laughs> laughing, giggling. So, like, we're clearly onto something. Yeah. And that's just continued to fuel this. You've got to, even me talking about it sounds very weird, saying oak is more a tiki drink. Um, but if you've seen what I've seen, it's actually quite easy to make the connection.
0: Being an Australian product, wow. be not working necessarily the way a traditional Amaro mm. would perhaps work, should it still be called an amaro? Oh, that's a really good one. Yeah, totally. Probably
1: not. I, I would love to be able to call it. I, I, we we have toyed with the idea of just calling it Australian bitter. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because to be honest, in Australia, people don't even get what amaro is. And I know And I'm. And I'm yeah. Yeah, it's not derogatory or anything like that. But when I go to the states, amaro is normal. Like every like yeah cool go and get you know granddad at a bottle of Maro like you know Italian culture is very pervasive there. Um, it should be very pervasive here, but we we don't we we've never been educated on a Maro, been educated on brands, Yeah. you know. So when, when we talk about, you know, oh, yeah, it's an Amara. They go, what's an Amara? I'm like Have you heard of Campari? Yeah, well, that's probably one of the world's most famous ones. Um, you know, then we went down a list and be like, have you heard of Montenegro? Have you heard of Chinna? Have you heard of Averna? Have you heard of Braulio? Have you heard of, you know, these other things? Um, to try to find that sort of just link to be able to get people to there. Um, but I think that makes a, a really good point that um, we have been toying with this quite recently.
0: Are you hoping that eventually Oka will become so synonymous with what it is? Yeah that just having that word and dropping the Amaro will be how the brand progresses. So
1: we had this very um, pie-in-the-sky idea Uh, ages ago. We were trying to encourage other uh, brands to release an ochre and actually like just, just put the either um, licence the name where 100% of all the monies from the licence fees go to um, like an Indigenous community or some sort of foundation that would foster better growth of these more ingredients and, and actually establish an appellation of what... What an ochre is, you know, and that would be really cool because you you do know, like you know, you've got fernets, you've got you know amaros, you've got aperitifs, you know, you've got. Well, why can't we just have ochres? It's a, it's a very easy thing to pronounce in, in all cultures. Where do,
0: does the name come from?
1: Well, uh, obviously the the colour of the soil uh, ochre.
0: Oh, so it's a, so it's yeah.
1: The colour, okay. Yeah. Right. And, and the spelling of it, uh, and we do often get um, uh, asked about the little dash that goes through the O, which is actually quite intentional because the way that Australians say the word O is actually really quite unique. So the way we say no... Oh, actually this very rounded draw it. draw it out instead of like if you're Scottish and it's like no uh, you know we, we actually have have a very distinct way um, uh, of, of pronouncing the word oh so we thought oh let's do this is a bit of a, a bit of a cool thing let's do it phonetically how an Australian would pronounce the word oker okay. Yeah. I know this is that's a bit of trivia but yeah. you know a lot of people are like are you guys Danish or something like that I'm like no 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 we're just we're just idiots but yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just made things difficult for people to understand yeah yeah
0: Cool. All right well th- thank you so much for joining us this afternoon and ochre is available nationwide through specialty liquor stores yeah, absolutely a
1: few a few' Dan Murphy's depending on the state that you're in particularly very, uh, the um, like the like the flagship stores the really really nice pretty ones um, but uh, we are yeah, starting to get it out more and more as people are starting to understand and appreciate and, and, and under, yeah figure it out pretty much, but yeah. And what about internationally? Oh, internationally, it's available in Hong Kong, Sweden, uh, New Zealand, uh, and soon to be the States as well, which will be really
0: exciting. Cool. And when would the states release be coming up?
1: <laughs>
0: uh, in the next sort of six months, or yeah, no,
1: definitely when when the FDA decides to understand what the hell's a wattle seed—that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a tough thing—is getting getting it through FDA. everyone's like, what's a rye berry? What's a wattle seed? Um, uh, but no, i I would definitely anticipate in the next six months for sure. Cool.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. No, thank you. Thank you so much. And we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Cocktails Distilled. Be sure to visit cocktailcollective.com.au to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time. Cheers.